I'm Dana Perino. This is Ed Henry. And I'm Kat Timpf. This is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. I'm Trey Yinks. The race is on to find a suitable coronavirus vaccine and treatment for the entire world. Every day we're learning a little bit more about how this virus attacks the, the body, how our immune systems are responding to it, um, what is it that gives people lasting immunity, and what is it that perhaps makes them vulnerable to a subsequent infection. This is the Fox News Rundown, Global Pandemic. With clinical trials underway, countries are already placing orders for vaccines that haven't yet been approved for public use. There is hope that with a vaccine will come economic rebound and prosperity. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, the president of the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. Starting first in China with the latest developments on a new outbreak in Beijing. Overnight, parts of the city were fenced off as all sport and indoor entertainment venues have been reclosed. More than 100 cases of COVID-19 were reported in recent days, many of them linked to a food market in the southwest part of the city. New local travel restrictions are also in place as this is the first outbreak in Beijing in 56 days. Now to Russia that has nearly 550,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Russia's prime minister says the situation is gradually improving, though mortality rates remain high. St. Petersburg, Russia's second largest city, has a mortality rate of 4.7%. Russia has been very specific in their reporting of virus mortality, attributing COVID-19 to 7,200 deaths during this time period. Finally, in the United Kingdom, at the Imperial College London, human trials will begin this week on a COVID-19 vaccine. 300 participants will be given two doses, according to reports. If all goes well, the study could be expanded to 6,000 people later on. This trial has received 41 million pounds of government money and 5 million pounds of private donations. So with human trials underway, how close is the international community to finding a cure? Well, we're still in early days, but the most promising thing is the speed that we are seeing and the scale that we are witnessing. This is Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, the president of the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. It's been an incredible spring to think in just 20 short weeks We've seen our companies galvanize to start 550 projects globally targeted at trying to combat COVID. 135 of those are specifically focused on trying to develop a new vaccine against COVID. So this is an incredible, unprecedented amount of scientific activity. And it's just so heart-inspiring to see because we need many shots on goal uh, to really beat this virus. And this is exactly what we want to see to get to a successful outcome. For our listeners who aren't aware about the process when it comes to creating a vaccine, oftentimes we see the final vaccine on the market. And like a flu shot, for example, people will go and make sure they're vaccinated and their kids are vaccinated and they'll go about their daily routines. But a lot goes on behind the scenes to get to that point, especially with a new virus When it comes to COVID-19, what are these groups and companies doing to ensure that this vaccine that ultimately is created will be safe and to ensure that it works? You know, I've had the great privilege to see this process from many different perspectives. I was an official at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and I just joined Bio um, this spring from working at Johnson & Johnson, which is, as you know, 
one of the companies in the race for a vaccine. And what is remarkable from those different vantage points is the amount of hard work, um, blood, sweat, and tears, you could call it, and rigor that goes into producing a new drug or vaccine for the public. The scientists working on these projects are incredibly committed, incredibly motivated, and very well trained and equipped to really tackle the really daunting and difficult science that lays ahead of them. And it's a messy process. You get leads and you have promising approaches and then you have setbacks because the data doesn't support it. So there's very much an iterative process of trying everything you can think of and then making sure you refine that through rigorous scientific testing to get to an end product that actually will work for the patient. So it's a very long process. Normally, vaccine development can take five to 10 years. But because we've been investing as a nation and as a globe in the fundamentals of developing new vaccines over the last 10 to 20 years and in our clinical trial infrastructure, this is allowing this unprecedented speed. So these vaccines will have to go through the same phase one, two, and three testing that every new vaccine product and drug product has to go through. So no corners will be cut. There are no shortcuts when it comes to verifying that the science is doing what we want it to do. Um, But they will be first tested to make sure they are safe in a small number of patients. And then a slightly larger number of patients will take it in phase two to make sure that it's actually working as expected and doing its job. And then phase three, which you may recall over the last week, we've heard several companies are getting close with their COVID vaccines to phase three testing. Phase three is when you have a large number of patients and you're really trying to make sure that that across the population, your new vaccine is safe and effective. And that is exactly what we want to see before anything gets released to the public. Is the understanding in the scientific community that once you have coronavirus, you aren't able to get it again. You're given immunity in some capacity because I think this question has been out there a lot of, is there a possibility that a vaccine wouldn't work if you have had coronavirus, developed the ability to fight it, and then are still able to get it again? Is there clear evidence out there one way or the other? Well, the vast, the vast preponderance of the evidence seems to state that you have some lasting immunity to COVID after you catch um, after you catch coronavirus. But the problem is that we do not know for sure. Um, this has been a very complex virus and it has surprised scientists. We're still learning. Um, every day we're learning a little bit more about how this virus attacks the, the body, how our immune systems are responding to it, um, what is it that gives people lasting immunity, and what is it that perhaps makes them vulnerable to a subsequent infection. And we've only seen a handful of cases in which that's happened. So the good news is that it's looking like um, infection provides lasting immunity, and so therefore our hope is that new vaccines will also produce some lasting immunity. Um, And it's also appearing that the virus does not change, it does not evolve as quickly as some of the viruses that have really stumped us in recent years, for example, influenza, which changes so rapidly that we need several vaccines every every fall to be prepared for the next wave of influenza. So COVID appears to evolve much more slowly, and that is good news for our vaccine efforts. Certainly. You mentioned the funding of these efforts. 
I understand that it's a combination around the world of government funding and also private funding and different innovation funds that allow for the types of scientific processes to take place. When it comes to the United States and the companies that are making significant progress, where is the majority of their funding coming from? And do they need more? We often hear when it comes to vaccine development or other uh, areas of research that there are pieces of progress that are made and then sometimes people will run out of money or companies will run out of money to continue. So are these companies funded well? And also, could you talk a little bit about the advocacy and work that you're doing to ensure these companies are able to operate? You know, it's a great question. I think there's a misperception out there that because um, the federal government and nonprofits invest in drug development and vaccine development, that that is the vast proportion of the investment that's needed to get us to the finish line. And unfortunately, that's simply not the case. Less than 10% of drugs that make it to market come from purely federal or, or academic funding. It's really the companies that take those cutting-edge um, discoveries that are made in academic labs or in federal labs and do the hard work, the really tedious work of turning those discoveries into products that actually can work for patients that's really needed to get to the finish line. Now, in the case of COVID, it's been very, very interesting to see. Most of the companies have jumped into this space not because the of the financial gains that may or may not be there, but at this point are very uncertain and unreliable. It's because they feel very much committed um, at their mission to use science to improve the world to try to get to this answer. Some of the larger companies have done a lot of this work at risk. Even if you see a headline that says they may have a partnership with the federal government through perhaps BARDA, which is one of the federal agencies that's working in this space, that is usually a, a very small minority of the funding that's going into the work that's being done. These are large-scale, ambitious, and expensive programs. Um, and the large companies you see in this space are doing it very much at risk. Now, when it gets to the smaller companies, it's interesting. Um, they're trying their best, and they're pouring their resources into it. But you're right. Sometimes they get to a point um, where they do run out of the funds. And you know, some of the reorganization we've seen in recent weeks and months in the federal government around their response to COVID has sometimes interfered with that with that funding um, and made it difficult for some of those smaller companies to continue their efforts in this space. And it's so important that we have as many projects targeted at COVID, as many different scientific approaches as possible so that we'll be successful in the end. Now at the Biotechnology Innovation Organization, we try everything we can to raise these issues to make sure that they're getting the attention. We just last week met with uh, members of the House to talk about what we can do to um, make it simpler for our smaller and more cutting-edge companies to also get their projects to the finish line. So everyone is trying to attack this issue and wants to see success, um, but it is sometimes a difficulty getting the the resources needed to do the work that is required. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, the president of the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. We'll be right back. 
I understand that you've spoken with members of the Coronavirus Task Force, including Dr. Fauci, about the U.S. government's response and the challenges that they're facing. What is your take on how the task force is doing? And do you feel that the U.S. government has stepped up to the plate in terms of the necessary approach and execution of the goals to fight COVID-19 in the U.S.? You know, we are so fortunate to have some amazing scientific minds and public servants um, helping in this effort. And they have been nothing less than miraculous in um, helping to shepherd the federal response. We had such a great conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci last week at a global biodigital conference. And, you know, he called COVID his worst nightmare. He was like, this was what kept me up at night. But he also talked about not only how he's so buoyed by seeing the range of private sector efforts, but how the ongoing investments that the National Institutes of Health has made in our clinical trial infrastructure throughout the country is going to help us test successful products more rapidly and more reliably. And that is incredibly good news. We also see great minds like Janet Woodcock, who has a lot of experience at the Food and Drug Administration. I was a Food and Drug Administration official um, several years before I joined Bio, and she is just one of these historic leaders who is so good at pushing the Center for Drugs to really be at the forefront of, at developing and helping develop new therapies um, for, for many diseases, but particularly for COVID. And she's gone over on, um, temporarily to help with Operation Warp Speed to help the federal government coordinate their response throughout the federal government. So while those are shining stars and they've done an admirable and amazing job at pushing um, the federal response, there is more that could be done. Um, you know, our companies would like to see a lot easier pathway to interfacing and interacting with the federal agencies that are coordinating the response and that are partnering. Um, it takes a lot of organization and manpower to navigate the federal maze, to get through the bureaucracy and red tape, to get to the bottom line of, of working hand in hand with government to produce a solution to fight COVID. And that should not be the case. It should be easier and it should be um, more readily available so our companies that are working night and day at breakneck pace don't have to slow down to partner with the federal government. You have a really interesting perspective, having experienced so many different parts of this conversation. Really, really insightful. I appreciate your time. Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, the president and CEO of the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. Doctor, thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.